All right, thank you gentlemen for joining us uh, live and thank you to those who are joining us online. Welcome to Real Men and we're going through the book of Romans and what I like to do every week for the guys is have a leadership talk to sort of coach men up uh, in leading as men. And so uh, let me give you one quick verse from uh, Romans chapter 11, verse one in our most recent section of scripture. We're gonna look at eight life lessons for men from a guy named Abraham. And you can learn a lot looking at a guy's life, positive and negative, positive and negative you can examine someone's life and learn a lot. It says in Romans 11, one, I ask then as God rejected his people by no means. And then Paul, who's writing this, he's Jewish. He says, I'm an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes all the way back to Abraham. Let me just talk about this guy a little bit. Uh, Abraham is one of the most important people in the history of the world. Uh, he's mentioned around 300-ish times in the Bible. And uh, let me double check my notes. He's mentioned nine times just in the book of Romans. This is the last time that the apostle Paul mentions him in the book of Romans. So he's a big deal in world history. He is the father of faith for Christianity. He is the biological father for Jews and Judaism. And here's what I want you to know. If God can work in and through Abraham, there's hope for all of us. Amen. That Abraham, we tend to look at him. How many of you grew up at church and you heard about Abraham and it was almost like a superhero. Like, oh, he's a man of faith. He's the man of God. No, he's actually the man who got another gal pregnant and gave away his wife twice. You're doing great. He had some issues. He had some shortcomings. And so he was, he was a man loved by God, but he, he also had some issues and some shortcomings. So what I wanna do is I just wanna look at some leadership lessons, some principles for us as men from the life of Abraham. And I wanna look at two primary sections of scripture and then we'll summarize it. The first is in Genesis chapter 12. This is where God first showed up to Abraham. So for Abraham, imagine you, many of you, most of you, I uh, hope, pray eventually all of you know Jesus Christ as your God and savior. And the God who showed up to Abraham was Jesus Christ. He came down and, and he intercepted the life of Abraham in the same way that he came down and intercepted the life of Paul who's writing Romans. So think of your life before you met or knew God. And then one day God just showed up. Okay, so for me, I was a freshman in college. I was 19 years of age. I didn't know God. God just showed up and there's where we started. This is the first time that God shows up that we are aware of in the life of Abraham. God just intersects his life. And here's the story. And it's one of the most important sections in the Bible. It's repeated over and over and over. Now the Lord said to Abraham. So God pursues Abraham, just like God pursues you and me before Abraham pursues him. And God speaks to him and he has something to say. He says, go. First thing, this is gonna be an act of faith. Go from your country. How many of you right now, that in and of itself, I mean, we read that, just think about that. How many countries would you not wanna go to right now? Amen? Like even people that hate America are not leaving. That's how good it is, right? Have you thought about that? There's not people, at, you know, they're not people at, at the border trying to leave America. Like it, most of the defense is one way. So, you know, even if you hate it, you're like, I hate it, but it's, it's still pretty awesome. So he's living in a nation where God tells him, go leave your country. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And your kindred. So everybody you know, all your family, your business, and your father's house. That means all of your relatives, your extended family, your business, your inheritance, and your land. Okay, how many of you guys? How many of you guys like land? How many of you guys own land? How many of you wish in 0708, you bought more land, amen? You feeling that today? They're not making any more land. If you got some land, hold on to it. He's got a bunch of land that's all paid off, debt-free, paid for. 
handed down generationally and God's like, leave. And it's a lot of land. How many of you right now, leave my country, leave my family, leave my friends, leave my relatives, leave my land? No way. He's a man of great faith, amen? Just to get a guy to give up a piece of real estate takes a miracle to the land that I will show you. Where's he gonna go? No clue. How many of you would wanna negotiate with God at this point? God's like, give it all up in exchange. In exchange for what? Trust me, nah, right? You gotta tell me what the deal terms are. If I'm gonna give up everything, you gotta tell me what I'm exchanging it for. God doesn't do that. How many of you, this has been your life? God's told you to give up some things, you've lost some things, and he didn't tell you what he was gonna give you, you just kinda had to march forward and hope it worked out. And I will make you a great nation. At this point, he's 75 and his wife is barren. How many of you guys are 75? You ready to start a family? Right? <laughs> right? See, we call this Abraham's blessing. How many 75 year old guys? A newborn baby would not necessarily be your first concept of a blessing. He's 75, he's not gonna get the baby for 25 years. Any of you guys 100, don't raise your hand. We don't wanna kill you. But 100 is, that's old, right? How many of you guys don't wanna start your family at 100? I for sure don't, for sure, for sure. I'd be like, we both need diapers. This is too many diapers. I, don't, I can't do all this. So when we look at what God is asking of Abraham, he's asking Abraham to give up a lot, uh, but he's not promising us a lot. He's just saying, you need to trust me. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, most of us, let's be honest, we like the being blessed part, the being a blessing, uh, not as exciting. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, it's talking about through you is gonna come a son, through the son is gonna come a nation, through that nation is gonna come the son of God, that son of God is gonna be the blessing to the nations. This is ultimately a promise that through all of this, who's coming? Jesus is coming. So this is a big promise. Does Abraham understand any of this at this point? He's just like, I'm 75 and I'm supposed to leave everything and just trust, okay? And, and I just need to trust this God I don't know and I just met. It's a big ask. Goes on, so Abraham, what? He did it. I mean, that, that's pretty amazing. How many of us, honestly, we would not do what we were just told? How many of you are like, give up my, all the real estate guys are immediately out. All the, real, all the guys, real estate, are like, I'm out. I, I believe in real estate, not God, right? We would be out at any of these terms, but what it says is he just did it. And what's interesting, Abraham knows a lot less than we do, but he sometimes obeys a lot more than we do. And sometimes we tend to think if I just knew more and God's like, actually, if you obeyed more. See, here we are. I mean, how many words at this point has God given Abraham? Literally just a couple of words, God's given us a lot of words. And it's not always how much you know, but it's how much you obey in regards to what you know. And so, you know, faith comes um, by hearing the word of God and through faith comes obedience and doing the word of God. So he goes on. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, Abraham was 75. Imagine starting over, starting over at 75. Hey, I, I kind of started over at 45, do not recommend it. <laughs> do not recommend it. At 75, I'm out. I'm not, I'm, I mean, the starting over at 75. How many of you guys at 75, you're ready to just start over? This is incredible. 
This is an incredible ask that God has for him when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions. Now he's moving, okay? Uh, it goes on, and the people they had acquired inheritance, so the entire extended family in the household, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to a place at Shechem to the Oak of Morah. What you need to know is to go from where he's at to where God is calling him, they need to go through enemy territory. How many of you move it? How many of you have moved and you know that that in and of itself is a big thing? Now move without a truck, okay? Now move your extended family. Now move them through enemy territory at 75 years of age. This is a lot. Abraham's a pretty resilient guy. He lands at the place that God led him and showed him. Uh, then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he did what? He built an altar there. What's he gonna do? He's gonna worship God. The point is God has given him a promise. God has not yet fulfilled that promise. He trusts in the promise and he worships God before the promise is fulfilled. How many, just to be honest as guys, it's a lot easier to praise God after he's delivered, Amen. okay? You single guys, you're like, when he gives me the girl, I'll sing those songs of the band, then I'll sing, okay? Or when God gives you the job, you're like, God, I'm ready to sing in my car on the way to work. Thank you so much for providing. When God gives you a child, you're like, Lord, I'm just gonna sing, thank you so much. When the child leaves, goes to college, goes off the payroll and doesn't go sideways, you're ready to worship. The problem is that it's easy to worship after God provides. Sometimes it takes a lot more faith to worship God until he provides, okay? So God said something and he believes it. So again, Abraham doesn't have a lot of information, but he trusts the word of God. He trusts what God has told him and he worships. Here's the big idea. You need to have, you need to have an altar at your house. What he decides is before we build a house, before we build a family, before we build the nation, we need to build the altar because what's the first priority? We gotta worship God. That's his first priority. So as men, you can build a great company and I hope you do. I, I, I hope you build a great family and I pray for generations because I love you with all my heart. Uh, we can build a great ministry and I hope by God's grace we do. We can build all kinds of great things, but the first thing we gotta build is an altar at home. So let me ask you guys real briefly in more of modern vernacular, what does this look like? Because at this point, there aren't pastors. Abraham is the pastor of his family. You are the pastor of your family. Before there is a place to go to worship, he has his home, his household, his family uh, be his first church and his home be a place of worship. So practically, what does it look like for us as men to build an altar in our home so that our family starts by worshiping God? What does that look like? Praying with your family. Some of you men are trying to figure out the reason you're here and we wanna honor the fact that you're here and we love you and we're honored to have you. Try to figure out, okay, how do I be the spiritual head and leader in my family? The easiest way to begin is just start praying for your family, start praying with your family. Just start praying. Anything I can pray for you about? Anyone I can pray for you about. And then pray, pray over your kids. And for those of you that have little kids, let me just tell you, you can't start this too early. By praying over your kids, you're bringing God's presence and you're making it now natural for them. What'll be normal to them is, well, we pray together and my dad prays for me. 
For some of you that didn't grow up at home, you're like, that's weird. Well, it doesn't need to be weird for your kids. It could be normal. It could be normal. Other things that men can do to build an altar at their home. Yeah, Bible reading, Bible study. One of the things that we did uh, as a family, and we still do, we kept the Bible on the table and occasionally, hey, this is where we're going this week. I tend to go through books of the Bible and you can kind of know where we were or where we will be. Have a discussion about it. What we're doing here as men, we're gonna have a little discussion and prayer time. And you men need to know that what we're wanting to happen here is something that we want you to bring to your table. If you will sit with your family, not just in front of the TV, have a bite to eat, maybe talk about scripture or God, have an open, fun conversation and pray for each other. And it's not gonna happen every night at your home. Some nights the kids are just gonna wanna hang out or sometimes the kids are just gonna wanna talk about something else, that's okay. You make it a regular habit and then you gather and gain those sacred windows of opportunity. So one of the things we do at our family, every Sunday night, we still all get together at our house for dinner. It's my favorite time of the week. So most of the time, all our kids come, two are married, one's in high school, two are in, uh, two are in high school, one is in college and two are married. So sometimes all the kids are there and the married kids, sometimes they make it, sometimes they don't, you know, that's the way it works. But when we're all there, um, Grace's mom comes as well. So we've got three generations and, uh, and I'm really blessed. I'll just say this publicly. I love my mother-in-law, she loves me. So I, I hit the lotto, okay? So when she comes over, she brings a pie and kisses me on the cheek. So we're good. I really appreciate her. We're really good. So they all come over and we'll sit in and we'll have dinner together every Sunday night for a couple of hours. And my question is always from the sermon today, what, what was your takeaway from the sermon or the text or what did God lay in your heart? What did you hear? What did you learn? And we all just take turns sharing and we just talk, okay? And then our table becomes an altar. An altar is the place where God is worshiped. Other things practically men can do to build an altar at their home. Yeah, spend time in the scriptures. How, how many of you, um, you know how important it is if they see you reading your Bible, guess what's more likely to happen? They're gonna read their Bible. If you're reading their Bible and they're reading their Bible and you're reading your Bible, if they have a question, who are they probably gonna ask? There's like, oh, I was reading the Bible, dad reads the Bible, I'm gonna go ask him. This is where it just becomes normal in the Christian family, unlike the non-Christian family. We pray, we talk, we open the Bible, we have conversations about the Lord, we enjoy the presence of the Lord. And when our kids were little, one of the things I like to do when they're really little, and for you dads with littles, is a healthy bedtime routine. Sometimes kids at night, they get scared, they have night terrors, they're, they're freaked out and all of that. I love to tuck the kids in bed, we'd pray, I'd read out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. When they got older, they'd read out of the Bible and we'd sing together. I, I have a terrible voice, by the way. Uh, not for preaching, it's amazing, but for singing, it's horrible. <laughs> but I would sing with them and I would pray with them and I would read scripture with them. And part of it was, I just wanted that to be the way that they ended every day before they go to bed, you know? Um, I just wanted them to know that I loved them, that God loved them, that I was there for them, that God was there for them. And even I wanted to build an altar, you know, at their bedside so that God was there with them as they slept, okay? So this is, Abraham is given a big call by God. He obeys it rather quickly and wholeheartedly, and then he worships. Now, where we see he is as an early believer, it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, he doesn't know very much, but he obeys very much. I want you to see where he came from. I'll share one more scripture with you. It's oftentimes overlooked 
on the life of Abraham. So Paul quotes him in Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's the ninth and final quotation of Abraham in um, the book of Romans. Genesis 12 is probably the most famous section about Abraham. This is a section that is less known, but is very insightful regarding Abraham. Joshua 24, 20, uh, verses two and three, he pulls everybody together. Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So this is many generations later, who's their physical and spiritual father? Abraham. And it's been a lot of generations. So he's died and gone. Now Joshua is the leader of the people. He's sort of the father of the nation. He's the spiritual father. And he gathers all the people together and he says, okay, let me tell you the story about Abraham. This is really important that wherever God began faith in your family, that you always tell that story from generation to generation. How many of you were the first believer in your family? Your kids and grandkids need to tell your story. One of the most important things you can do is if you're the first link in the chain of faith is to make sure that your testimony is recorded or written down so that your kids and grandkids know where God started his work in the life of your family. One uh, friend of mine, he might even be watching tonight, his dad's amazing. His dad's in his seventies. His dad's a very godly man. And one of the things that his dad did, he put together his entire testimony of how God saved him. It's, a, it's incredible. He literally wrote it out like a short story. And you know, he, he didn't have a dad and he grew up in uh, orphan care and he joined the military and then God saved him and called him to be a pastor and brought along his wife. It's this amazing God showed up in my life story. And he recorded it all. He wrote it all down um, as, a, as a book. And he gave it to his grandkids for Christmas. And he has extra copies so that when he's gone, his great grandkids and his great grandkids could read that story. How many of you, you weren't the first believer in your family, it was your dad, your grandpa, your great grandpa. And how many of you would be really great if you knew their whole story and it was written down or it was recorded so that you could actually see, oh, that's when God showed up in our family. And this is what God's been doing every generation since. For you older men, let me just encourage you. This is a great, tremendous gift. And this is what God's people, the Hebrews have, the Jewish people. So the story of Abraham's conversion, it's in the Bible. So it was written down. And the point is, if God does something in your life and you're a man, write it down so that long after you're gone, people in your family, they can see what God did in your life and hopefully follow in your example of faith. Um, I love my grandpa George with all my heart. He died when I was 10 years old. I talk about him all the time because I miss him every day. Um, and I wish he wrote down his testimony. I know that he knew the Lord, but I don't know how he came to know the Lord. I don't know when he came to the Lord. I don't know the details and he's gone. So I don't know the story. I wish I knew the story and I wish I could share it with my kids and one day my grandkids. I'm prophesying grandkids in my future, okay? So here's what Joshua does. He pulls the family together and he says, let me tell you the story of father Abraham and what God did in his life. Uh, the, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. They lived in what is now modern day Babylon. When you read early in Genesis, there's a place called Babel and the Tower of Babel, and that's where all the bad guys are. That's where they were. They were the bad guys in the bad place. How many of you, your family started as the bad guys in the bad place? Okay, and what this is, this is saying we started as the bad guys in the bad place. Walk with the Lord, don't become the bad guys in the bad place, we left there, we don't wanna return there. My family, County Cork, Southern Ireland, uh, a long line of, I told you the story, alcoholics and pirates, okay? 
Now everything makes sense, amen? You're like, now it all comes together. Arr, yeah, so I got an eye patch, I got a, I got a parrot, I, I mean, I got a whole thing. I don't even dress up for Halloween, I just do this. So, but what I know is now knowing how God worked in my family, I don't wanna go back. I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna do that. I, I, I saw what alcohol did to the family and I, I don't want alcohol to do that to the family. Okay, it's part of the testimony of God's deliverance. Um, here's the big line. And they, Abraham and Nahor, they did what? They served other gods. What are those? Demons. There's only one true God, but there's lots of false gods. There's a real God and then there's counterfeit gods. These are powerful spiritual beings, demonic beings that create other religions and do supernatural things. So Abraham and his dad are what? They're demonic, they're demonic. Not only that, at this point, when God first shows up in Abraham's life, is he a Jew or a Gentile? He's a Gentile. There's not the Jewish people till he circumcises himself. Well, you talk about faith, right? <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, here's the big idea. Abraham is mentioned, as I said, somewhere around 300 times in the Bible. Paul lists him nine times in the book of Romans. Multiple books of the Bible, when they say, okay, where did it all begin? Where did God start? It goes all the way back to Abraham. Where did Abraham start? He's demonic, living in Iraq. That's where he would be today, geographically be in Iraq. So if you know a demonic guy in a counterfeit religion in Iraq, I've not been there, but I heard that they're still there. Demonic guys in counterfeit religions in Iraq, that's where he started. Question, how hopeful is that? If God can start with that guy from that family in that place, guess what? God could do something amazing in your life and your family. God could do something amazing in my life and my family. The point is, if God can get Abraham, he can get anybody. If he can get him in Iraq, he can get us anywhere. And if he can get him out of the demonic, he can get us out of anything. This is why Abraham is such an encouragement, not because he's a great guy, but because God is great and did a great thing for him. Um, he goes on to say that I took your father, Abraham. So it looked like Abraham was moving, but God was actually moving him from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan. That's the enemy territory and made his offspring many. And he says, I gave him Isaac. Okay, let me, let me hit this real quick. How many of you have a son? Okay, God gave you that son. God gave you that son. That son is a gift that God gave you. Okay? That's an incredible statement. It was like, Sarah, thank you for the baby. Yes, thank you for participating, but the baby ultimately came from God. Your children, your sons and your daughters, I got three boys, two girls, they were given to us by God. They're, that's why the Bible says that children are a blessing, they're a gift. Okay. So looking at the life of Abraham, let me pull out eight life lessons for men from Abraham. Uh, and all this is at realfaith.com. Your leadership is both spiritual and practical. So Abraham, he leads spiritually. He decides he's gonna worship God. He builds an altar, true or false. He also leads practically. He's gotta find a piece of land. He's gotta build a house. He's gotta find an income. He's gotta feed a family. Most men are strong at one and weak at the other. How many of you guys are strong at the practical, not as strong at the, per, uh, at the spiritual? You're stronger in, let's say, the financial. How many of you guys, you're like, I, I do really well at the financial and practical. I could put food on the table, roof over the head, but 
the practical is not as strong as the, the spiritual rather is not as strong as the practical. You're like praying with the family, worshiping, knowing the Bible. I'm, I'm not as strong there. How many of you guys are really strong in the spiritual? Like I know how to pray. I love the Lord. We read the Bible. I just have a hard time making ends meet. Okay. The truth is almost every man is either right-handed or left-handed. And the true is, it's similarly true for men in terms of the practical and the spiritual. Some guys are like, I'm good at making money. I'm good at generating revenue. I'm good at business. Other guys are like, I'm good at praying. I'm good at relationships. I'm good at Bible study. Abraham was good at both. He provided spiritually and practically for his family. And to me, what happens oftentimes to men, if they're strong at one and weak at the other, they excuse it. How many of you, your dad would say, well, I, I'm a good provider. I put a roof over your head. I put food on the table. I paid all the bills. I took care of you. But yeah, you were very good on the practical. You were not good on the spiritual. I love you, dad, but like relationship, prayer, you know, time together, time in God's word. There wasn't a lot of that. So to be a provider as a man is to provide with both hands. It's the practical and the spiritual. Other dads would be like, I love you. You know, I pray for you. I pray for you all the time. I know dad, but we need food. You know, I mean, we believe in fasting, but only if we choose, you know? So this involuntary fasting is not working, okay? Second le lesson, the decisions you make can last for generations, okay? This is a weird question. Today, where are the physical descendants of Abraham largely residing? The same piece of dirt that he moved to. It's been a very long time. I've been to Israel. There's Jewish people there. And they all would trace their physical ancestry to Abraham. As men, we need to really think in terms of generational legacy. And when we make decisions, realize the decision I make could last for generations. This could be good or bad. So he made a decision to worship God. And today I would be a spiritual descendant of Abraham. I worship his God, Jesus Christ. Um, how many of you, you're, your ancestors didn't come from America. They immigrated here, they came here from somewhere. This was my family during the potato famine. We got on a coffin ship and showed up from Ireland. So at some point, somebody in my family decided that I would be born here and that my kids would be born here. And someday my grandkids would be born here because my dad would be born here. Somebody made that decision. That decision they made lasted for generations. And so it's, it's things like, where are you gonna live? Where are you gonna raise your family? Who are gonna be your friends, your wife's friends, your kids' friends? All these decisions that men make, it can last for generations. And so my, uh, I was born in North Dakota. My dad moved to Seattle for construction. He was a drywaller, so we moved. I moved my family to Arizona. So somehow we got from County Cork, Southern Ireland to Arizona. But each generation, men made decisions that affected ensuing generations. And sometimes as men, we just think about our decisions in our lives, but we got to think in terms of generations. You know, what are we doing financially? What are we doing sexually? What are we doing spiritually? What are we doing practically? What are we doing geographically? And will this build some momentum for generations? And if it does, is that a good thing or a bad thing? How many of you, it was a bad thing? Generations of alcoholism generations of adultery, generations of brokenness. Others of you, it's like generations of godliness, generations of faithful marriage. I recently met somebody, I kid you not. They are the fourth generation in their family to be faithfully married for 50 years. I was like, that's incredible. I mean, that's, that's, um, that's wow. 
You know, at some point, some guy's like, I'm gonna keep my pants on for 50 years. The next guy's like, I'm gonna do that too. By the fourth guy, we're now in miracle round territory. That's where we're at. But it was, it was generations positively or negatively affected, okay? Number three, uh, you're never too old to do the right thing. Let me just say this, I'm now older, I'm 50. As you get older, you're less likely to do or try new things, true? Older men, why do older men not wanna try or do new things? Why, be honest. Fear, you're gonna hurt yourself. You're like, hey, I was young once and I could bounce back, but there ain't enough ointment for that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurt myself, <laughs> okay? Sometimes it's fear, because as men, we don't like to stink at something or fail. You're like, I'm just gonna do the things I'm good at. If I don't know how to do it, I'm not gonna start now because I'm not gonna be very good at it. Which can be really bad. You're like, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, it's, it's better to start than not start. I don't know anything in the Bible and I don't wanna look stupid. Well, you are, we all know it, so does God. Just get over it. And we all start without knowing. We all start at zero, okay? We all start at zero. Sometimes as older men, we don't wanna try or do new things. How many older men don't like change? <laughs> we just don't like, you guys eat the same thing for breakfast. You cuss out the same politicians. You, you go to bed at the same time and you wake up to go pee at the same time in the middle of the night. You have a very consistent lifestyle. I know you, okay? Amen, we got one testimony in the room. How hard is it for a man, not just to make big life change, but to make big life change as an older man? How old is Abraham when he meets the Lord? 75. When does he get his first kid? Around 100. That's a lot of big change. You're never too old to do the right thing. Let me just say this. Satan has lied to some of you and said, you know what? It, it's too late. Is it? I'd be too much work now. Would it? What has God called you to? What has God burdened you toward? What, what does God still have for you to do? Just because you're old doesn't mean you're done, okay? And you start wherever you are. It's never too old to do the right thing. And so Abraham is not just an encouragement to men, but to me, he's a particular encouragement to older men. Um, number four, sometimes your family needs a clean break from your extended family. Amen. Amen, <laughs> okay. Um, so, Sometimes with our extended family, we put up with things that we would never put up with from anybody else. You're like, why do you let them treat them like that? They're family. They act like enemy. Why do you let them do that? Why do you do Christmas with them? They all get drunk and yell at you. You're like, well, they're family. And so sometimes we draw clear health boundaries with people unless they're relatives. And then we allow them to draw the boundaries that are unhealthy. So we just learned that Abraham and his dad were both demonic, living together on the same plot of land, same business, their finances are entangled, they have business together, inheritance together, life together, spirituality together. Abraham gets saved, what does he gotta do? Move. Not just next door, to another country, okay? I hope your family's not that crazy, but it may be. How many of you, you, so let me, I don't have any notes when I come up here. It's kind of verbal process. Let me tell you what comes to mind. I got two kids that are now married. Here's what I told them. I told, uh, so my, my, my oldest daughter got married first. So I told her, I said, your husband is not joining our family and you are not joining his family. The two of you are starting a new family. How many of you, this is a great pain in your family 
They're like, we're getting a son. No, you're not. We're getting a daughter. No, you're not. They're getting a spouse, okay? You can love them as a son or love them as a daughter, but what happens when someone is your son or your daughter and they're growing up and they're little, you get to tell them what to do. When they become older and they get married, they leave their mother and father, they start their own family and they get to make some of their own decisions. They get to do things differently, okay? How many of you, the greatest pain in your marriage has been your extended family thinks that they're immediate family? You're like, well, that's not how our family does it. You're like, we started our own family. So I tell my kids, like, you make your own decisions. You figure out your own holidays. You figure out, you know, what you wanna do for work. You figure out what you wanna do for vacation. That's your family. And as long as it's not ungodly, I will support it. And I'll even fund it, I'll help. You get the right to make decisions. And as long as it's not ungodly, I will support it wholeheartedly because those are your decisions, okay? What Abraham does, and I think perhaps one of the reasons, this is a bit of speculation if I'm honest, I think one of the reasons that God takes him away from his family is because if they are demonic and they are godless and it is generations of dysfunction, God's like, I need a new family. And I'm gonna do something through this new family that's different than the extended family, okay? And so sometimes you need to have a clean break with your extended family so that you can have a new family and you can have a healthy family. Some of you, I, I wanna be careful in this, don't, don't do this without you know, seeking some wise counsel. Just go home and go, Mark said your mom's demonic and we're moving. Okay, don't do that. Okay, I mean, don't, don't, don't put that on me. I'm already busy. I don't have time to put all the toothpaste back in that tube. But what I would say is, let's say you have a family where there's a lot of adultery or addiction or abuse. Do you want them to be around the grandkids? I don't. Right? You're like, you know what, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna create a boundary here. Or you guys always are broke and begging us for money and crashing into our life. And you know what? You, you, you gotta figure out your own stuff. This is our family, okay? And some of you, this is the reason why you've moved to Arizona, okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest. We're the fastest growing city and county in America. And everybody's like, my family's crazy, we're moving, okay? That's great, providing the first thing you do when you get here is you build an altar. Amen. You can't just leave crazy, you gotta build an altar. So he leaves crazy and he builds an altar. So we're glad you're here. These are the men who wanna build the altar for the family, okay? Sometimes you gotta leave family to have healthy family. And I'll say this um, publicly, I wanna honor my uh, mother-in-law. Um, I sat at a baseball game for my son yesterday with my mother-in-law for a couple of hours. <laughs> I love her with all my heart. She's really good to me. We get along great. We moved her down because she's a blessing to our life. She's really good to my kids. She's really helpful. Even when the kids were little, she was like, do you guys wanna go on a date night? Can I watch the kids? Or do you guys wanna go out of town and I'll take them to little league games and yeah, I'll pray for you and here's a pie. Oh, oh. This is like, yeah, wow, yeah, wow. Some of you are like, yeah, my, Mother-in-law rides a broom, I'm praying for it. Okay, I'm really blessed. So I don't need a hard, clean boundary with my mother-in-law because I love her with all my heart. We're really close, no problem at all. Some of you, very different. And I just said mother-in-law, so maybe that was prophetic. All right, next point, uh, leadership starts at home. Before Abraham can lead the nation, he needs to lead his family, okay? Bef leadership starts at home. Let me tell you this. If you can't lead your family, you really need to question whether you should be leading anybody else. 
okay? And let me say this, if your wife or your kids are unhealthy or not going in a healthy direction, even if it's not your fault, it's still your responsibility as the head. And you may need to remove some of your other responsibilities so that you can have your first priorities, okay? So it may be, things are blowing up at work, but my wife is really struggling. That's your first priority. Your priorities, men, are these. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids, not just your family, your wife and then your kids. Your wife will be there before your kids. And if you do it right, she'll be there after your kids leave. Okay? And then your job and your other leadership responsibilities. If your job and your other leadership responsibilities are taking so much of your time and energy that you don't have time and energy for your wife and kids, guess what you gotta do? You gotta reprioritize because leadership starts at home. Um, I just feel inclined to say this. I don't have a perfect family and they certainly don't have a perfect dad, but there is no way we were gonna, so we planted a church because the kids wanted to, and if my kids didn't love the Lord, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't be a pastor because they'd be my first ministry and my highest priority. And I'm not saying that kids can't have a season of rebellion or prodigal or figuring it out. But if I had you know, what I considered apostasy with my wife or my kids and it was creating, I'd be like, you know what? I love the church, but leadership starts where? Starts at home. Like Grace and the kids are the first priority. And it doesn't mean that they need to be perfect. And I don't wanna put a lot of pressure on them but I wanna give you men permission that leadership starts at home. And let me say this about men. If you really wanna lead men, what are they gonna look at for your credibility? Your family. You're like, the wife and kids, how are they doing? If so, I'll follow that guy. If not, I'm out. He may have good principles, but he doesn't have a good product, okay? Next one, uh, sometimes the most important thing you do is preparing your kids and grandkids to serve the Lord. The most important thing Abraham did was nothing that Abraham did. He raised some kids who had some kids who had some kids who led to the nation of Israel, all the prophets, priests, kings, most of the people in the Old Testament that loved and served the Lord were all what? His descendants. Because we live in a short-term society, people are always like, what difference is your life gonna make? Here's what I'm telling you. I'm gonna put so many people in the future, they're probably gonna make a much bigger difference than me. Like I got five kids, let's say they had five kids and we got 25 grandkids. I'm telling you, those 25 people are gonna get more done than me. So the most important thing I can do is invest in those five people and then those 25 people. See how this works? And if God would give us great grandkids, now I'm really prophesying into the generations. Let's say that each of them had five kids. I went to public school, what's 25 times five? 125, that's a lot. I promise you this, if they serve the Lord, they're gonna get a whole lot more done than me. And some of you guys, you're like, man, I could do so much for the Lord. Raising godly kids and sending them into the future is sometimes your first priority and your most important ministry. Because here's the deal, you may be here today, but you're not gonna be here tomorrow. We need some people here tomorrow that love and serve Jesus. It'd be great if they had your last name. So the most important contribution Abraham made was raising his kids and grandkids. And then number seven and eight, the safest and most dangerous to, place to be is in the will of God, okay? So God tells Abraham, leave everything and move. Is that safe or dangerous? That's really, I got no job, I got no house. I'm going to a new country. I'm leaving my family and friends. We're leaving our land and business and inheritance. That is risky, but it's the safest place in the world, why? 
because it's the will of God and the calling of God on his life. And so when you walk in God's will, sometimes people are like, it's the safest place to be. No, actually, it is simultaneously the safest and the scariest place to be. Because when you live by faith, not by sight, you're trusting what God said. You're not trusting what you see because it's not happened yet. He moves being told you're gonna have a son. He waits 25 years. He's, he's living by faith until he lives by sight. Lastly, uh, the best thing you can do is to keep your family looking forward to Jesus coming. When God shows up to Abraham, he says, I'm, I'm bringing Jesus. And then God shows up to Abraham repeatedly through the book of Genesis, like chapter 15 and elsewhere. God speaks to him multiple times and keeps saying, Jesus is coming. And then through Abraham's family, the message they keep saying is, and this is the prophecy and the prophets and the priests and the kings and all of his descendants in the Old Testament is, Jesus is coming, okay? And then Jesus came. And today we're waiting for what? Jesus to come again. So the first time he came in humility, second time he comes in glory. First time he came to die and rise as our savior for our sins. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. Abraham and his family, they were waiting for Jesus to come. We're in the exact same position they are by faith, trusting what God has said, waiting for Jesus to come. And sometimes the most important thing you can do is just prepare your kids and grandkids to prepare their kids and grandkids to prepare their kids and grandkids for Jesus to come. That's the story of Abraham. Uh, we're gonna break into groups, just spend a little time in prayer. And uh, here are the couple simple questions. Number one, how did Abraham's story resonate with your life experience? Like, hey, that sounds familiar. Like for me, moving my whole family across the country, like I was like, okay. I mean, our move was a lot easier than his. We had a truck and we're still in America, but I resonate with that. What about Abraham's story did the Holy Spirit highlight for you? And for me, just as I'm standing here, I'll be honest with you, my conviction in the spirit is that I, I pray at home and I pray on my knees at home. I need to pray on my knees more at home. My son is up in my office, he's 15. He's got allergies, they're driving him crazy. Before I got up to preach, I did what I always do in my office and I knelt down to pray for you. And I, it dawned on me, I don't know how many times he's seen me on my knees in prayer. If I'm thinking that, it's probably not enough. I do kneel in prayer, but is my son seeing it at 15? And so that, that was what the Holy Spirit convicted me. Like he built an altar and his family saw it. Um, and then lastly, how can we pray for you? Because we love you and we wanna pray for you. And I just wanna thank you men and I wanna honor you men for being here. There are a lot of places that men go to drink. There are a lot of places that men go to flirt. There are a lot of places that men go to complain. There's not a lot of places that men go to find God and men of God. And it's an honor to have you. Father, thanks for an opportunity to teach. And God, thank you for the story of Abraham. God, if you could get a demonic guy in Iraq and turn him into a patriarch for generations and use him for the cause of Jesus, that sounds amazing. And some of us start in equally difficult, dark places. And Jesus, just thank you so much for the God that you are, for the promises you give. And thank you that your word is true. And when you say something, we can depend on it and we can bank on it because everything you say comes to pass just like you said. And God, I pray for these men that wherever they're at, they would just get started like Abraham did, that they would build an altar in their home, that their family would worship and serve God. And I pray, Lord God, as there are generations long after Abraham who love and serve Jesus, I pray for these men, that whether it be their physical descendants or their spiritual descendants, their coaches, their mentors, their teachers, their leaders, their, their helping as spiritual fathers, that that legacy would continue for generations in Jesus' good name, amen.